What's good with everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. It's your host with the most. My name is Gifted, and we're back for another episode of Gifted Hoops. NBA free agency has been absolutely insane. But before we get to all the crazy NBA stuff, I first want to introduce my guest first. This is my guy, uh, first time member on the podcast. We used to do a sports podcast like four years ago called the Space Creators Podcast, unironically. Die hard Damian Lillard fan. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to be here, man. I've been seeing you grind up and and build the community and just reach out to a lot of great uh, content creators. So I'm just glad to be here, talk basketball, talk Dame, and you know, hello to everybody out there. I cannot wait. Big shout out to Kyle again, y'all. When I say die hard Dame fan, I have to leave with this. Uh, he picked Dame multiple do years back to back. Don't do it, bro. He dropped his 70 points and could not win. I just had to point that out real quick. My bad, my bad. Now, listen. So I understand ha- the grind and not, you know, going to the top with it. So I'll say that much. I respect that. Now, listen, we, we have another Damian Lillard fan, except he is a 76ers fan. And you guys already know Derek of the Not Just Dribble podcast. Derek, how are you feeling? What's up, everybody? Uh, I'm feeling pretty well, Gifted. You know, it's been a a rough start to free agency, I think, for Philadelphia Sixers fans. As an NBA fan overall, I'm happy. I'm enjoying seeing the team succeed. I'm enjoying, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, some of these teams not succeed. Uh, But this has been fun. NBA free agency is like its own third season. Uh, So NBA, you know, is a full all-year thing, and I'm excited to... You know, be a part of it and share it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about it today with you guys. 100%. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, Damian Lillard finally requested a trade. I have to talk about this first. I think this is like the biggest thing we got to talk about here. Because one, me and Kyle for years, Derek, just in case you didn't know, we have been talking about Dame being on the same team for multiple years i've said for like the last five or six years dame should have been out in portland and this time is finally here i want to go to kyle first because i have to understand how he feels as a die hard dame fan to finally see his favorite player request out um it's been a tumultuous 12 years almost 11 years uh just seeing him go from uh excellent rookie to having his own team when LaMarcus Aldridge left and went to the Spurs, to him just having multiple random people on his team, random people gone, him going as far as he can, getting knocked out first round. So just seeing him actually take himself instead of the team first, it's definitely weird. You know, I think everybody knows, especially people on Twitter, they're saying like, you know, uh, running from the grind, running from the grind. After 11, 12 years of just putting yourself into the team first, I think it's time to put yourself in the the, the big man shoes. So, um, I don't know. I'm I'm actually excited that he's going somewhere. It was weird uh, actually trying to imagine him anywhere else because he's just been here so long. And I was a little bit late to him leaving. Once CJ McCullum left, I'm saying I, I was thinking like maybe he can find some people around him. We all know that the Trailblazers is not the best market, so it's kind of hard to find people that actually want to be there. And I think that was their biggest uh, hindrance of that whole team throughout these whole 11, 12 years. Nobody wants to go there, so it's only so much you can do 
and it, it's a lot of problems honestly but it's it's weird seeing him go somewhere else i have to agree with that i mean i literally saw dame with evan turner al farouk aminu crab bay like like just like many different iterations of, of this portland team and i kind of feel bad because portland's front office was not great for the majority of dame's tenure and it seemed like they're finally getting some different type of direction but now he wants out Derek, how do you feel about dame finally asking out yeah i mean despite being a sixers fan my entire life dame quickly became my favorite player in the league uh, and that includes you know guys like joel Embiid and drew holiday I, dame has just been so good for so long i, I love his game you know faults included like i understand dame's never been quite the defender but to me when it mattered i think he would try i don't necessarily think he was ever a turnstile so as long as you gave effort and you were just such an offensive weapon like he has always been i respect it uh so i've always respected lillard and you know i bought into don't run from the grind you know stuff a little bit just because he was living it for a while i you know i admire small market teams and small market stars uh trying to succeed because they are working at disadvantage i mean historically that there's too much proof to show nba small market teams do not have the same success as your la's as your boston's even philly was once considered a, a large market i don't think it's up with you know the new york's and la's of the world but portland has never been that portland has one championship to their name and you know a couple of solid runs i would say in between there so day made it exciting and it was fun to tune in despite you know the giant west coast uh time differential whenever i could tune in it was always fun to watch so when this you know trade request finally happens i think everyone kind of collectively said it's about time when realistically i understand why dame held out as long as he did i think he really was trying to exhaust every effort and bring somebody in constructing the team a bit uh you know a, a bit more coherently to try and build for a run but i think after last season him having arguably his best statistical season as an individual player and not making the playoffs you know really not being a team in the hunt at all i think that's where you just have to you know accept your fate and realize if you want to contend if you want a different experience as a player while still you know essentially being in your prime you got to move and you got to request that trade uh, we'll talk about his official request and what has happened since then, but I still admire Lillard. I still think he's a fantastic player, and I'll root for him regardless of what team he goes to. That doesn't mean I'm going to support the team necessarily because we'll talk about where he could go, but I will still support Dame. I kind of feel like for me, man, as a Warriors fan, seeing Dame potentially leave the West, which we're now going to transition to like the team he might be going to it's just weird because i've always seen dame in a portland jersey i've always had to deal with you know playing him and his teams for four times and now he has a chance to go to a team that isn't just good but is also not in the west he's finally leaving the west to go to the eastern conference potentially for the miami heat and like this is a team that we just saw in the nba finals 
They play excellent defense. It was a very heartfelt run with a bunch of undrafted players, which I swear, if I hear the word undrafted again, I might lose my mind, but I had to say it here, sadly. But we saw how impactful those players were. And now you have a chance to pair Dame with Bam and Butler. And now it's like, if you're evaluating those three guys, that's the point guard, that's the wing, and that is the center. Those three pieces are the foundation of what makes a championship team. And arguably, Dame is putting himself in a real position to win if he winds up on the Miami Heat. Derek, what do you think about the fit of Dame on the Miami Heat? I mean, I think the fit is seamless. Uh, again, we talked, you know, I briefly mentioned his defense, which is not top notch, but he's surrounded by guys that can absolutely cover for him. We know what Jimmy is, especially in the playoffs as a POA. I think he's still formidable. We know Bam is, I don't know, after this playoff run, the second best defender in the NBA. Some would probably still have him as the best defender in the NBA. So you got to feel pretty good about that. And I think Miami always just finds a way to execute a system really well. You know, we saw players like Max Drews, Duncan Robinson, uh, to a lesser degree, Gabe Vincent, Vincent, guys that necessarily aren't great defenders, but they can work through a system and make teams have to really try second, third, and fourth options on possessions. And if you can do that, your chances are you're going to succeed. So I think Dame would be fine on the defensive end. He's a very easy plug-and-play guy. And then offensively, he fits exactly what they need. He can be a high-level playmaker, which, look, which looks really good next to Butler and Bam, who are already very good playmakers in their own right. And he fits the scoring bill they so desperately need. Uh, he's flirted with averaging 30 points in a season multiple times. He obviously has crossed that threshold before. So we know he can get buckets. We know he's going to help the shooting. And we know he's going to fit every level of their offense. So I think it's it's really seamless. What matters is just whatever you want to, like, pop in. You know, maybe don't have an undrafted guy uh, have to get core playoff minutes when a Butler or Dame have to go to the bench. But Miami has to feel really good about it. I think that's why they're going so hard for getting Lillard into, into Miami. Yeah, definitely. Just seeing Damian Lillard in the type of plays that Miami runs, especially just seeing them in the playoffs um, going towards the last couple of rounds um, leading to the finals, seeing Jimmy Butler initiate the offense so well, but also knowing that he's not the best playmaker that you can get out there I think Dame Lillard can definitely take a lot of pressure off of Jimmy Butler because the past two times they've been in the finals the thing that breaks them down is Jimmy Butler having to carry um, a, a lot of offensive pressures on that team so if Dame can come in work in the system he buys in which I'm pretty sure he can he seems like a perfect plug and play type of player um, you have three so, uh, I'll say serviceable playmakers. You know, I definitely like that Bam can uh, handle the ball. And just the fact that we can see Dame Lillard be off the ball for once and actually trust in the people that's around him. You know, going back to the the Portland Trailblazers the past couple years, you know, when CJ was on the team, he's not the best playmaker. You know, he can do what he can. I definitely think that he has the IQ to do it. But having somebody and two people at that, that can get you exactly to where you need to go. And if something isn't working for you, you can dish out to anybody, run some plays. And like I said, buy into that system. It will 
alleviate all the problems that Miami had and which ultimately, you know, led to them losing, you know, other than Jokic just being amazing. But, yeah, I think it helps. Along with a couple other people that they might need, some big people, some some defensive guys, just people to buy in, I think the Heat can go far again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just it. I We said, like, the Heat, for some reason, have had two NBA Finals runs uh, in this decade. And I think every season we're kind of like, ah, they're going to be a pain in the neck for some playoff team, but we don't expect them to necessarily win a series. You know, we'll be talking about Milwaukee. We'll be talking about Boston. Uh, occasionally talk about Philly. But realistically, we don't pick the Heat to end up in the Finals. And again, this year they end up there. So getting a guy like Dame, you have to imagine that's what puts you over the hump. You'd rather have your top three ends, your, your top three just be hammered out and solidified and then figure out the little stuff after. Miami was figuring it out with guys that we didn't expect necessarily are going to be starters for anyone coming into this season. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that they've made that work making Dame work to me is not really a concern at all. Spo, I think, has earned the reputation as the current best head coach in the league. I guess if you want to say if Popovich had more talent, it'd be a different story, but Spo has seemingly made everything work in Miami, regardless of injuries, regardless of restrictions, regardless of talent. He he can put a team out there that's going to compete and nearly win at the highest level. So, I feel good about it. The question is, Aside from a guy like Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry, who have been in trade talks for the better part of a year, essentially Lowry's entire tenure as a, as a Heat, I wonder who else, if anyone has to be included in that. If you could somehow acquire Dame with just giving up those two guys, that means you still have Haywood Highsmith, who I think is going to have an increased role, uh, former Sixer, of course. I got to shout him out. And then you got guys like Caleb Martin, who should have honestly been the ECF uh, MVP for that series. I would agree. Uh, you're bringing back Josh Richardson, which is a body, but you expect to help with wing defense. And then you got a bunch of guys that you kind of have to wait and see. Uh, Yurtsevin, of course, uh, you know, he might get ticked this time. Um, the rookie Jaime out of UCLA, people are excited about him. I think he blends perfectly with the Heat. What exactly his role is, I don't know. Uh, and then Jovic is probably the other guy, the rookie who really didn't get any PT this season. So the Heat can figure out the little things. And if you have Dame, Jimmy, and Bam, now all of a sudden the remaining free agents are probably looking at like, huh, that's a good team. Chances are I could make a difference for another potential finals run. Oh, and it's Miami, uh, which has quickly become, unsurprisingly, a really popular market for NBA players. So... Yeah, chances are that Heat team will be right back in the finals if, you know, everything plays out how they want it to. Yeah, I would say my only concern of right now is if they can build the right people to buy into that system, which right. in and in itself is not the most worrisome thing because, again, like you said, Spolstra has proven that he can take any guy, almost any guy, and make them work good for a system in a specific role which might brighten them to other teams say if they trade them just like max Strus, um just like a gabe vincent um, before then people weren't looking for him and now seeing that they can buy in seeing their skills and letting them shine and develop a little bit more they are getting more money they probably ever will see 
um, if they didn't go to the Heat. So I just really want them to try to fill it in. Um, the fact that it's the Heat and they have a very good coaching system that can break down some of the pressures. But again, we've seen teams that are a little top heavy and then going deep into the playoffs. If one person chops off or somebody gets injured or maybe uh, a specific role player might get injured, then they might become stagnant and they're going back to, okay, how do we get past this next game, let alone this next series? Um, so hopefully they can fill up the team with some, some good players. Yeah, I agree with the points you two have, have made with the Heat. I think that adding Dame adds versatility to their offense. I think versus Denver, their defense might not have been as great because obviously Jokic is just a complete mismatch and is tough. But I think a lot of times there were multiple possessions where Jokic was not on the floor. And the Heat's offense just could not survive because they were really relying on Struce to hit shots, on Gabe to hit you know, tough pull-up jumpers. You now have Dame, who for years and years and years has been able to consistently create advantages against that Denver defense. And now you have more versatile lineups where it could be a Dame and Bam inverted pick and rolls where Bam has the ball, Dame is the screener to pop, or Bam catches it and explodes, or even Dame and Jimmy two-man game. Like, there's more versatility and I think adding that to a team that already had a backbone based on defense is huge. The thing that I will question is you're losing a lot of shooting. Hero's not going to be there. Gabe's not going to be there. Max Struess, in my opinion, is kind of mid to garbage, but he's also not going to be there. Like You need to have more guys to space the floor effectively. But outside of that, I think the foundation of what a Dame team could be with a wing who, in my opinion, is the top 10 player and I think is actually better than Dame. But Dame being in a situation where he has all the defense around him from the five position and also the three spot, it could pay some huge dividends for them. My question to y'all, though, is do you think if this roster stays relatively the same, let's say that, that Tyler Hero's gone, um, Jaime's gone, Gabe is gone. Max Struess is gone. But they add Dame. Can this team beat the Denver Nuggets? I mean, my short answer is yes, they can. I don't think I would pick them in the series just with this exact roster that you described. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I don't have any issue with that. I think, I think that on paper, the problem I've had with Denver, and I think they're a really great team obviously but i don't think that denver faced the team outside of the suns ironically where there was a guard consistently stressing out their defense and as good as booker was i still think from the perimeter specifically like dame's range is a problem for denver it's been for multiple multiple years the issue though is as good as dame would be the team around him would not show up in spots and the team had a terrible terrible defense as well i think dame being placed in a better situation will kind of bridge that gap what do you say to that Kyle? do you think they can beat denver um with this current team no and that's kind of going back to what i was saying before they need to very much place the perfect people in these open spots 
in order to even compete with somebody like a Denver. You know, they got pretty far as far as anybody would have thought against Denver in the finals, but because they didn't have another score, because Max Struess wasn't really hitting shots, Kayla Martin took a while to heat up. Um, and Bam, you know, he was pretty solid. Definitely, definitely solid in a lot of the games. But I, I, I want to see them get a big that can take away that center role from Bam. I think he very much um, thrives in that four to five range. I don't like seeing him. It's kind of like with AD. Like with AD, I don't want to see him at a five. I like seeing him at a four because he's comfortable being that way. And then you can have somebody that is more um, specific to that center role, which is, you know, defending, just spot up, taking the paint out. And then if you have Bam, you know, going around doing his playmaking thing, like you said, those inverted screens, we were talking about that uh, when the trade request happened, that can prove very plentiful. And just the offense, the way they were running last year, uh, seeing Jimmy kind of go into the low post elbow area, seek out a lot of pressure, seek out a lot of uh, physical attention from whoever he's guarding. And then as soon as somebody's open, he'll dish it to him and hopefully get a three. So I like that a lot. But just imagine Dane being on the other side of those passes. That takes a lot of eyes off of somebody else, which we've seen with Duncan Robinson doing in the finals and in um, the Eastern Conference finals leaking a lot and getting those open buckets and just cutting the lead down or even if they did have the lead making that lead a lot bigger so I don't I still don't know exactly who they could plug in um I don't know if Thomas Bryant is necessarily that guy I like him for what he does but he's still kind of limited especially on the defensive end which is the main thing I think they they should get at that five spot but you know I'm, I'm definitely excited to see who they can get yeah, I mean, to piggyback off of what Kai just said, I think a big is kind of, you know, the last piece of the puzzle. Maybe not necessarily to take Bam out of the five spot, but again, a, a roamer who can absorb some contact and some fouls to keep Bam out of some trouble, uh, but also help on rebounding. I mean, the I think Bam is a fantastic center. I think he's in like a top three, certainly top five category as the center in the NBA. I just think like his rebounding sometimes he's kind of outmatched. Um, he's an amazing athlete, but he's still 6'9". And I think teams as overall can out-rebound the heat sometimes and that gets them into trouble because obviously we know they're small. So to me, like, you know, Kai mentioned Thomas Bryant. I've got the same doubts that he does. Uh, I don't think he's going to be enough defensively. Uh, we saw him really not get any tick as soon as he went to Denver, despite having some cool games in LA this past season. So the biggest question mark, and again, like asking a second year guy to really plug in, even as a rotational guy, could be a lot. But I look at uh, Nikola Jovic, dude's got a 6'10 frame. Uh, you know, that's something. And that's they, the Heat don't have a whole lot of that. So he could be a four who is at least rangy and can help in excuse me, the zone defense that the Miami Heat love to run regular season and postseason. If you can have him carve out a real role, that certainly helps. But I agree overall, they need to go out and get somebody uh, to help fill the gaps here because I'm looking at the roster of guys that would I, I would actually want to get playoff minutes. And outside of our big three, 
you know, again, assuming Dame's here, we've got Highsmith. I definitely want getting some run. Uh, Caleb Martin, of course, is a starter at that point. Josh Richardson, I guess. Duncan Robinson, I guess, is essentially guaranteed, especially with the money you're paying him. And then that's it. I mean, everybody else, it, to me, is either unproven or it, it you know, kind of remains to be seen. Because, again, we're assuming that Jaime is traded here. Uh, right. So, yeah, I, I think they're, they're at least something away. I don't know what that something is. To me, I don't know that they could pry this guy from Memphis. But to me, he screams he could be successful in the heat. That's Brandon Clark. I think it's a buy low situation because he's coming off of an injury last season. Uh, he's another undersized guy, which is a weird, like, mismatch but he can play the four the five i think really well for the heat he's an amazing offensive rebounder and a solid rebounder overall good cutter hustles i think that could work in given this situation uh i'm not sure they make the money work necessarily but that's the kind of guy i would target and honestly just talk to the grizz in general because if you don't get him i would ask about like xavier tillman uh, and basically the front court guys from Memphis and just see if you can pry one of them away, that would be terrific. And that would answer a lot of the questions we have for the heat. Tillman would be great. Yeah, I could not. I couldn't agree more with you because I think there's still holes on this roster. I'm personally in the camp that if you add Dame to the heat, I do believe that they could beat Denver. I think there's an argument to say that Denver's the better team. However, I don't believe it's by as big of a gap as it would be last year. Uh, primarily because the pull-up shooting and the consistency of what Dame is as an offensive player, I think will take the pressures off of Bam and Jimmy Grayley on the offensive end, which can really unlock them defensively even more than they do now. I feel like a lot of times the load that these players have to carry on the other end can directly impact how great they are defensively. So I think that that could pay dividends. But I'm happy that Dame finally requested out because I'm not going to lie. It's been years and years and years of I don't I don't want to be on a team that can't win a championship, but I want to win the championship in Portland. But I also don't want to be traded, but I do want to be traded. But like is. It's been a lot of back and forth for multiple years. And I've had many heated arguments with Kyle about saying that Dame should leave. Dame should be gone. He's not going to win. He can't do X, Y, uh, or Z. And now Dame is finally taking the initiative in himself after being loyal for a very, very long time to say, you know what? I want to win. I don't want to end my career or waste the best years of my time on a team that is not ready to actually compete for a championship. And going to the Heat, to me is a great sign that he understands that. So much respect to Dame. Hopefully this happens because this will continue to shake up the NBA. But on the topic of trade requests, James Harden, Derek, Mr. Sixers fan, how did you react when you found out James Harden opted in and requested a trade from your Philadelphia 76ers? Yeah, I was a little surprised. I, I thought there would be stronger negotiations. I, I thought there would be, I thought Houston honestly would make a bigger push than they ended up making for James Harden. So that would have, you know, driven the conversation a bit more. But I wasn't surprised, I guess, by the result, given that Harden was asking for four years, which Philadelphia was never prepared to do, and, you know, still wanted some legit money to be compensated with. 
Gifted, you know exactly how I feel about James Harden. I was excited to get Ben Simmons off my team. I wasn't in love with Harden. I acknowledge and respect his talent as an individual basketball player. I don't think his play style and decision-making is enough to get you over the hump if he's expected to be a first or second option in a high-level playoff or final situation. And really, that's what it came down to last season. He is certainly not to blame for you know, losing to the Celtics altogether. There's plenty of fingers that are to be pointed at other guys in other situations. At the end of the day, I'm not thrilled about having trouble dealing James Harden now. Simply for the fact that this trade dictates not only Joel Embiid's future with the Philadelphia 76ers, but really the Philadelphia 76ers future as a whole. Because if you cannot hit a home run on this trade, it is, I mean, essentially, you're, you're looking down the barrel of a rebuild once again. Because realistically, this season, whether Harden's here or not, you got to ride it out with whatever, whatever roster you have this season. Chances are it's not going to be as good as it was last year, uh, barring some remarkable stuff. And then Embiid has a decision to make because once we are fully into this new CBA and teams now are kind of like have a much better idea of what cap looks like, what they can and can't do, and really what their situations are, the whole league will essentially be looking for Joel Embiid services at that point. He's on a contract that is not disgusting given his talent level. He's in his prime. He does everything super well at a, you know on both sides of the basketball. A lot of teams would be interested. And a lot of teams would have a package, whether it's like star level talent, draft compensation, just the money to alleviate Philadelphia's issues. So overall, it's an interesting spot to be in. I'm a little stressed given the circumstances, but I don't think it's the end of the world yet because Harden hasn't said Miami or bust which is something Dame recently did, or at least an article was published suggesting that Dame said that. So thankfully Harden hasn't said LA or bust yet because that would skewer Philadelphia's chances uh, to really make this work. Yeah. Um, with James Harden asking out, just seeing how they played against the Celtics and, you know, although him winning game one and I think it was game four, pretty much by himself if the team can't produce another win or another two wins to get past that team although the Celtics you could say were better that still puts a, a very bombastic side eye on on that team and if I was Joel Embiid I you know I don't know how many years he's been with the seven six, what, seven years almost eight years at this point mm -hmm. I would assume that he's getting a little tired of the shenanigans and the roster changes and then hitting the same role another roster change hitting the same role somebody's acting out ben simmons okay it's his big it's this big fiasco we get somebody else we get james harden we still getting out at the same spot so i can definitely see him getting a little fatigued in the next year or two um you know i don't want i don't want to say that he's going to ax out but i can definitely say that at some point if they don't basically get to the finals he's gonna have some some choice words for him um but yeah back to james harden i feel like he can plug in with any team i know the money is a little bit tricky because he he makes a lot 
and I think he's worth the money. But that playoff success with him and just the durability in the playoffs is the biggest thing that I've been very iffy with James Harden with in general. Pretty much uh, since he got in Houston, you know, just seeing him going against the Spurs and then seeing him going against the the Warriors that those couple of times, especially when, you know, even Chris Paul getting injured, point, missing 27 threes in a row as a team. Those type of things add up, and especially this year, um, that last game of the season for him, or the playoffs, excuse me. Just seeing those type of things can prove worrisome for a lot of teams, but I take the risk if you don't have anybody else and you have the money or maybe you have the assets to match up for him, I'll say take that risk. But I I want to ask what team would make the most sense for James Harden being on there? Yeah, I mean, right now, I think the obvious answer is the Clippers. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the Clippers are prepared to go all in. They have Kawhi and PG on the last years of their deals. They both have $40 million player options uh, the following season. But even more importantly, Balmer and LA have a new stadium to unveil next season. And they have 3,000 toilets for some reason. Uh and it's apparently very expensive and they're looking to try and go as big as possible. So getting a James Harden, a third star on that team and saying this is title or bust, there's nothing else that matters, makes a lot of sense because Harden answers all the questions that this Clippers team has had barring the health. But again, that's everyone's problem, right? Everyone's got that same injury bug they're trying to avoid. So Harden, PG and Kawhi, You've got two of the best wing scorers in the league. Both can play elite defense when it matters. Harden can handle all of the playmaking and still be a dynamic scorer. That sounds really good on paper. Don't forget about Russ either. He just signed to an $8 million contract. Yeah, and I'm sure ESPN will say that Russ is going to be a starter. But, you know, like, exactly. Like, you have guys that even if they trade a bunch to Philly to make this deal or a third team gets involved, they'll still have bodies to make work. Uh... And I think they can still make a really competitive roster outside of their own big three in this circumstance. So, like, they make the most sense. As someone who's not a firm believer in James Harden, or, like, you know, kind of the same things you mentioned, Kai, like, you know, the durability is a question mark. His lack of changing play styles is really my biggest concern. And, you know, I've been validated in that concern over the past two seasons he's been here. That's not changing. He's a really good regular season player, and that deserves credit. Like, he had, you know, all-star level play from, the you know, the season he played. But it doesn't change in the playoffs. And if your team gets so used to that same play style, all of a sudden defenses care now more than they did in the regular season, and it's much harder, and Harden doesn't adapt, and then you lose. So anyone else... I really don't know. Like Toronto, who has no idea what they're doing yet, doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Although I'd love to poach some of their players. Portland, as silly as Portland has been for the better part of Dame's entire tenure, I don't think they want to get into the James Harden situation. And Miami, I I think they're just too scared to do that. Like if Dame didn't work out and he goes to Brooklyn or something else, I don't think they'd be interested in, in like, swapping. Uh, And I also have no interest in Tyler Hero, so that doesn't work for Philly either. So I don't really know what more he's holding out for. Uh, Houston already 
spent all their money, so he's not going there. It feels like Clippers are bust. Maury's just playing the long game. Uh, and then as far as, like, the Clippers have players I'm interested in. Like, it's not ideal because I don't think we're getting Paul George out of it as much as I'd like. But that's the only end I see uh, right now for this Harden situation. I think for me, what makes this such an interesting trade request is James Harden demanding a trade to the Clippers. I think it fits very well. And it's funny because how I view it, right, is the question mark on the Clippers every year has been what? Health. Can Kawhi stay healthy? Can Paul George stay healthy? And they traded all of those picks for Paul George and Kawhi, and they traded a all-NBA player in Shea, right? So to me, it makes the most sense to go all-in right now while those guys are still playing at optimal levels because even though... It was only for two games. When you saw Kawhi in those two games, Kawhi was absolutely outstanding. Could not be stopped. Phenomenal score. And there was no Paul George for that entire series. And I promise you, versus the Suns, if they were healthy, they would have beat them in five or six to me, like easy. Like, that's how confident I am in what that roster was. But now, you keep Westbrook as another playmaker who can play a role and now you have James Harden as the half court playmaker. So now there's many different variety lineups to where okay, Westbrook and Paul George, you two together lead this lineup. Okay, Harden and and uh Harden and also uh, Kawhi, they play more slow. You guys lead this lineup. Like there's multiple different types of versatility. Not to mention they just got Kenyon Martin for two second round picks who is another great athlete that just runs the floor and i think the biggest issue last year is the clippers wanted to play different styles but they had so many older players who didn't run i mean russ had many plays where the only other clipper running with him up and down the court would be paul george at times and honestly terrence mann covington is not running marcus morris is not running so now adding in more athletes and more playmakers, this gives them the best shot that they've had to actually win. So I actually like the idea of Harden on the Clippers. Harden leaving Philly to me is very tough. I think no matter how you slice it, they're gonna lose that trade ultimately. I know Daryl Morey is gonna try his best to get as much value back, but my main issue is last year, James Harden was inconsistent in the playoffs, I agree. He had some very bad games that 100% needs to be addressed but at the same time James Harden at his best was phenomenal in the playoffs and actually won a lot of critical games against Boston my problem is now that there is no James Harden to take any type of pressure off of a MVP Joel Embiid now the question becomes how competitive is that roster going to be without a second star player I understand having more depth around Joel Embiid, but ultimately, the biggest game for James Harden that has to stand out is the game on the road without Joel Embiid, where James Harden led that team, put the team on his back, and secured one victory. If you X out James Harden from that equation, even if you have these pieces who fit well, 
who is going to lead the charge? Is it Maxi or some other player that you're getting back, Derek? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'll quickly say there is a potential reality we're looking at where Harden is playing in Philadelphia this year. That was the other thing. Like, I think I'm not saying it's likely, but I do think there is a chance you see Harden is stuck in Philly because Maury won't trade him. And Harden has to realize, like, he can't just sit out and destroy his, you know, uh, next contract's hopes. He has to play basketball to some degree, or at least play long enough until Philly says, okay, we're in negotiations with somebody, we'll sit you, and then, you know, we'll shop you, whatever. So there's the chance he plays, and then that changes everything. But the, the realistic, you know, I'm using air quotes here, but I feel like the most realistic trade we'll see for Harden that involves the Clippers I think involves guys that you know aren't stars but something I kind of drew up here if LA you know obviously refuses to give up PG which wouldn't be a surprise I think you could see James Harden and Furkan Korkmaz go to the Clips uh, for Norman Powell, Terrence Mann and Robert Covington and you're not getting any stars back there but the roster you fill out has nine guys that you potentially are kind of interested in uh Tyrese Maxey Norman Powell I think it's a decent backcourt Maxey needs to take a leap regardless of circumstances uh he has to grow in because now he's gonna have more on ball duties and you just want him to grow as a player anyway and I think he's on that trajectory I think he's gotten better every single season then you have Terrence Mann who's super versatile he'll plug in at the three I feel okay Tobias Harris we know what he is I'm not thrilled with him being the third option again, but he'll also be playing for his next contract. So you would hope that means better decisions and maybe he finds, you know, a way to be a concrete shooter again. Joel, you need MVP caliber Joel if you want to do anything anyway. So no, nothing else. Off the bench, you've got DeAnthony Melton, who I think is awesome. He's one of the best role players in the NBA. Jaden Springer is the dark horse I'm not going to say most improved but the guy to take a jump for Philadelphia uh, he's been hooping in the G League he's been hoop, like doing extremely well in early uh, offseason workouts with Nick Nurse and the team he's buying in he's a 6'5 really good athlete terrific shooter with like amazing defensive intangibles so he would be the awesome off guard to come off the bench in this circumstance PJ Tucker's still here but now he's off the bench where he should be Paul Reed, I think, is probably the best backup five uh, Philly has realistically had in the Joel Embiid era. So that's a cool nine, man. It's not star-studded, but I think with a better coach that Philadelphia now has, maybe a better system buy-in and growth from a handful of players, you have a chance, a fighter's chance to contend in the East. I can't go any higher than that because the talent is, there's clearly a ceiling uh, for the talent, but that's my best shot. And I think that's a realistic one. Yeah, I'm, that was a great breakdown. Um, just looking at the roster, I'm trying to figure out how far they can go with even James Harden staying. I noticed in, not even just in this prior playoff run of the 76ers, but a lot of the playoff runs with James Harden, although he can catch fire at any moment and he can go off on his own, it almost seems as though it the more he does for himself, the 
colder the guys around him kind of gets. Yes. So even if he, like I say, if he doesn't have the best game, he'll then look to his teammates, but they're not as much of a groove that he was. And now you're depending on him and then, or excuse me, them. And then you have Embiid trying to, you know, come back and be that very, very forceful paint force that we all know he can be, but he tends to stay more on the top of the key mid-range area and then works in. It just always seems like, okay, if James Harden is good, the rest of the guys are a little cold. So it's 50-50 chance, maybe a 25-75 chance um, that the rest of the guys can pick up as soon as he goes off. But it just seems like it's at the most unopportune times for the rest of his team. So I don't really see the 76ers going again past the conference finals, really. It just doesn't. It, it Nothing really pops out for them. I love Maxie. Uh, Harris, I'm, I'm a little higher than most people are. I understand that you know his downfalls definitely comes out at times that you necessarily wouldn't want him but i think for the role that he plays it's pretty good pj tucker perfect role player you know corner three-point guy defensive guy and well, they have patrick beverly now so that's a a good force to have oh guaranteed you know, playoffs now oh yeah guaranteed well, at least they're not you know <laughs> not a first round exit so that's that's good but yeah, honestly, I'm not too hopeful on the 76ers. I wish I was, but just seeing the resumes of the top two players on that team, it never really popped out like championship, especially them two together. Yeah. It's almost, no. oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 you're good. No, I, I agree. Look, I, it's, I really don't, <laughs> there's no argument to really put up from that perspective. Pat Bev is on this team. As you can tell by my voice, I'm not very enthralled with that. Uh, I think he's a, a cool vet. I, I do think he can help a locker room at times. Uh, he and PJ Tucker, I'm sure, are going to be fun. But he's 6'1", and I don't think he has a shot at all anymore. So that doesn't help me. Uh, to me, like, look, I mean, I said this to Gifted, Kai. Like, the, the fact that the Sixers were not able to re-sign Jalen McDaniels uh, has really hurt me, <laughs> really, this free agency, uh, almost more than the James Harden request and situation, just because I think, one, he was very cheap. Toronto got him for virtually nothing. But two, he was such a plug-and-play guy, uh, one that you traded Matisse Thibel and some draft capital for to avoid the luxury tax issues, but also for a prospect that could be here long term like he's 6'9 really long good athlete he showed some offensive promise a little bit in Charlotte and Charlotte's just a cesspool so like maybe he's talented and we just you know haven't been able to see it but now we get no opportunity to see it uh, in Philadelphia so not having him and him be like my 10th man to like really help like with the depth like the one thing Philly struggled with so long in the Joel Embiid era on top of a myriad of off the court nonsense is not having a deep team and I really was excited the prospects of a deep team in Philadelphia but now we don't really have that uh, again barring some crazy stuff uh, Ayo Desumu is also still out there at free agency and we'll, we'll pivot to free agency as the greater thing in a second um, he's 6'5 so I automatically was more excited about him than Pat Bev honestly this team doesn't need to get older to me it needs to get younger so to put a bow on this I 
I think Philadelphia has a chance to improve as a cohesive team. I don't think that necessarily means a championship, as sad as that is to say. I agree with the both of you. It's understandable to have your doubts. I still have mine. As a fan, I'll still root for them. I'm excited by the new prospects, but I'm very aware of the situation we could be looking at, at the end of the season. Joel just said, I've had enough, barring I, really an Easter Conference Finals bird. I mean, if you can't escape the second round again, James Harden or not, I think that's enough for Joel to just say, I'm going to pull the plug. It's been 10 years I've dedicated to the city, and we haven't gone far enough. And a lot of it's honestly not even on him at this point. At that point, it would just be, you know, I've exhausted everything. So it's unfortunate. I hope we don't get to that circumstance. Uh, I think Philly's still exciting, at least in the hunt in a weaker East. But yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough situation for Philly. Definitely a tough pill to swallow. I appreciate your breakdown of your team, Derek. And I guess the only right way to transition from your pain is to my pain the Golden State Warriors signed Chris Paul man um I think Kyle knows better than anybody my disdain for Chris Paul you know that I mean like for years we talked about it right Kyle yeah 100% I seeing him get traded to the Warriors I definitely knew the the dilemma that was in your head it's like okay we have a great team but now it's the one person I didn't want necessarily, not even in the league, but just especially on my team. Now, how do I feel? Do I hate Chris Paul more or do I love the Warriors more? And that's the question I have for you. And I still didn't get an answer. Man, I'm not going to lie, bro. Derek called me at work and told me that we traded Jordan Poole for Chris Paul and I had to pull over. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, there's, there's no way Derek, nice, mild-mannered individual is going to call me and tell me that we traded Jordan Poole for Chris Paul. I thought Derek was lying. And then I open up the app and it's like, nah, it's facts. And honestly, Kyle, the answer to that question is hard for me to answer, bro. Cause I really don't like Chris Paul. A lot of it is the like extra janky things he does on the court that frustrates me. The battles that we've had versus Chris Paul also factors into it. But also, it's like, okay, he's he's about to be out the league in the next three years, I would say. Like, at the best. I really think he's on his last legs in terms of basketball. I think Chris Paul, with the ball in his hands, can still do some cool things. But ultimately, if the ball's not, not in his hands, what is he doing? I've heard a lot of people try to tell me, don't worry. Chris Paul is going to set off ball screens. I'm like, okay, at age 39, Chris Paul is going to come on the Warriors and set off ball screens. I I would love to see it. I would. But based off what I saw last year from Chris Paul, he remains to be this questionable guy when the ball is not in his hands as much. Now, I do think he can pay dividends for the bench because go to state for years has struggled with turnovers and Chris Paul takes care of of the ball a lot but my problem then instantly becomes how do Chris Paul and Draymond Green fit because Draymond as good as he is his main thing is because I'm a non-spacer myself to make that less of a threat to the offense I'm going to take the ball and I'm going to dribble it and facilitate from the top while Stephen Clay run off the ball 
cool. But if Chris Paul's on the court, you would want Chris Paul to do that. So then Draymond is more so off-ball screening for Clay or Steph Fine. But having both of those guys, ultimately, they're going to get guarded like non-spacers. And I don't like the defense between Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and Clay. Clay, I really have a question mark with in terms of can he get back to his his defensive profile, if not close enough for next season. I want to believe that he can only because I will never forget those last three finals games against Boston where Clay was locking up Jalen Brown when it mattered most. I remember that. And maybe that's because he can't dribble and shouldn't should not be getting paid a $307 million Supermax. My bad for the tidbit. But I think Clay can maybe get to passable defense. But with Chris Paul to me, it just feels untenable. I do think Chris Paul is a better decision maker than Jordan Poole. I do. And I love Jordan Poole. He was super up and down. But I think the offensive ceiling of what Poole was, he fit perfectly off the ball. He was athletic. He could run all up and down the floor. You just wanted him to not run as much. Chris Paul brings you more stability. But it's such a safe level of stability. I don't really see the explosive ceiling from having Chris Paul on this team. So I really don't know how to feel, Kyle. To surely answer your question, I'm going to ride with the Warriors. I'm going to support my team. I'm going to support Chris Paul. But I promise you, in the back of my head, I'm also going to hate. Yeah, Kyle, I'll be honest. I expect to give this answer just uh, just be like, you know, I'm really looking forward to Detroit Pistons games this year. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's where I really yeah. thought that was going. I was expecting uh, to hear that. Yeah, and gifted, you should be. I mean, Jaden Ivey's going to be a lot of fun this year. Shout out to Jalen. Like, I mean, they got they got hoopers, man. It'll be a fun team. Oh, yeah, me um, and Kyle going to games this year for sure. Yeah, it'll like, be the best 15 games, one, <laughs> that you can possibly get. Yeah, exactly. 15 wins coming up. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Golden State, a gifted, I mean, I agree with just about everything you said. The, the key word that stuck out is the lack of explosiveness from Chris Paul and therefore Golden State. That's what I'm struggling to see. Golden State, in their peak of their dynasty and success with the big trio and co, has been, they can just run teams off the floor. They just make teams look silly, like they're playing a different kind of game, almost like they're in different leagues at times when they're in their peak. They would get the most layups in the league, get the most dunks, and they created the most space because of their you know, insane prolific shooting. Uh, from their two stars and from the team as well, like moving the ball super well and getting good looks. Chris Paul does take care of the basketball. He does make good decisions. He can execute a pick and roll supremely well still. I, I trust the mid-range shot at the right elbow. Outside of that, I don't know what I trust from Chris anymore. I don't think he's a defender. He once was. It's understandable. You shouldn't be in your late 30s and be a really good defender at an NBA level. I don't know that I've really ever seen it, especially consistently. So it makes me look at the rest of this team and say, who's in the closing lineup? Because I think quickly it won't be Chris. I think you got Steph, Clay, and Wiggs, and Draymond. And then it's either Kavon Looney or someone who may or may not be on this team long term, uh, Jonathan Kaminga. To me, Kaminga is the biggest question mark of this team. Because he is like the last, dare I say, ceiling raiser of what this team could be. I know what Steph is. I think I know what Clay is. 
I'm pretty sure I know what Draymond will be this season. We'll see. We'll talk about Draymond in a second, but I think I know what he is. Wiggs, I'm hoping that family situation is alleviated completely and he's in good spirits and comes back. We like seeing Wiggins play basketball. I think he'll be really good. He should be back. The guy I really don't know what to expect from is Kaminga. And he's like the last like unknown piece. He could either take off and be worth you know, the top 10 draft pick that he was, or he just acts out and says, I'm, I'm over it. This isn't meant for me. I deserve a bigger role. And Kerr is just like, dude, I didn't want you here in the first place because this was a Bob Myers pick, not a Steve Kerr pick. So that's where I'm at because I look at player coach Andre Godala. I look at Steve Kerr's favorite player, Anthony Lamb, and as much as I like GP2, Kevon Looney, and Sprinkle and some Moses Moody, that's not enough to contend in the Western Conference, especially now. If the West was ever the worst place to be, it would be now. So, I mean, do you, do you concur, Gifted? Do you feel like Kaminga is your team's biggest X factor, again, barring the obvious health situation? I think the key word, again, is explosiveness. And I think... For Kuminga, the last season he had was definitely explosive. I mean, I felt like he made some great strides during the regular season. His defense was extremely physical. I still feel like he plays basketball so hard to where it's like he wants to be the best player so badly on the floor that he actually makes a lot of mistakes. I think that might clean itself up in year three of the system. His shooting form came a long way from last year as well i'm pretty sure from january to like march he had a stretch where he was shooting 66 percent from the field on catch and shoots but the explosiveness in terms of the vertical rim pressure and how fast he is and how strong he is that is the real athleticism that's really lacking from this team so i do 100 percent agree with you on that but the issue i'm having is okay steph is still the main shot creator on this team and for years actually outside of the kd years it's been that way like steph is the main guy who shot creates and really initiates the offense with his scoring presence andrew wiggins is another guy who can put the ball on the floor and score maybe he can also improve because he had a very checkered regular season with a lot of off the court things going down but Ultimately, I feel like you need to have another perimeter threat who can ball handle and handle the ball in pick and rolls. But the issue with that is, who's on the market? I really think our draft picks are going to also have to play this year because our draft pick, I think he can really do a lot of special things. He's not explosive, sadly, but the three-point shooting and the versatility in terms of his offensive package in a, in a Brandon he can really do these things at a high level but this team i have so many questions about because again the goal while steph curry is on your roster is to win a championship and taking on chris paul's contract to me makes you older makes you more expensive it just makes you further away from that goal especially seeing how denver won the title and that's a team that has a lot of size a ton of athleticism at different positions and a lot of length i feel like golden state is the inverse of that and versus the lakers last year 
as it pained me to say, that was the difference in that series. Because while I do believe Golden State shot the ball terribly, I mean, Klay Thompson had the worst playoff series of his career. He shot 20% from the field, I think. Like, he was terrible. While the shooting variance is a thing for that, fine. Objectively, we still were not able to counter the natural explosiveness and length and size from the Lakers. So now it's like coming into another season where Klay Thompson might work out on his game more during the offseason. He might be able to put some things together fine. I still don't see the clear blueprint that puts them over any of these other teams. As a fan, I still believe that they can win. They absolutely still have the IQ and the capacity to win, sure. But ultimately, I fail to see where they're dramatically getting better. And that's the part that I'm really struggling with. How do you feel? How do you feel, Kyle, uh, about my team? Um, I'm not too hopeful on the, you know, jokes aside, I'm not too hopeful on the Chris Paul trade. I'll say best scenario, he brings very good IQ and therefore uh, flow and pace and maybe even shot selection to the bench in the, you know, the second and maybe third units. But other than that, I mean, he really doesn't fix much or add or even meet up to what Jordan Poole did for the team. Now, maybe they thought, okay, for this one year, we can get him to not shoot the ball in times where we really don't need you to shoot it. And like I said, I think the things with Jordan Poole that he brought to the team, he's not replacing. But the things that he was maybe not so good at, I think Chris Paul adds to it, specifically IQ and um, maybe passing the ball a little more. But now you're missing 20 points a game. But if you add up Chris Paul, I think he could probably get around eight, nine, maybe 10 points. So you're missing 10 points. So being hopeful, maybe he can... Bring the second unit, bring Kuminga in, get those young guys, those draft picks a little more comfortable with being um, in the flowing offense. Because, you know, with with the main unit, it's all about flow and pace and uh, keeping the ball moving and having people in the right spots. So, you know, maybe with Chris Paul doing what he does, what he does best, you know, going into the elbows, attacking and either taking the shot or dishing off to people that's around him and moving people around that's probably the best i can get from this um but other than that i'm not sure how far they can go you know because that that second unit and and other than the three best players on the team where is it gonna go you know we've seen them going against the kings and it was looking pretty bad at times you know if maybe steph wasn't uh, doing the absolute best or you know maybe Draymond was a little off or Clay Thompson going through his woes you know since his injury he's not been as I'll say uh, not accountable but well he lets you accountable for lack of a better term just accountable in that offense and just doing what he you you would expect him to do um, but yeah not, not too hopeful not too hopeful well I appreciate the honesty um, I'm not gonna lie about my team um what makes me the most nervous about this move is the fact that jordan Poole. i understand how how unplayable he was in the playoffs fine but to get through the regular season Poole played every game and had 
many moments when Steph wasn't playing where he was sensational and he had very big performances. If Steph sustains a similar injury this year that keeps him out 30-plus games, Chris Paul is not stepping up like that. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not a hater, but I just don't think that the explosiveness and the offensive low on Chris Paul at this age is going to get us through the games in that way. So I think the answer now has to become Golden State making more moves in free agency to really add more depth and potentially more spacing and shot creation to this roster. Like, Dario Saric is a guy I really want the Warriors to get. 6'10", length, can space, has played in IQ system before. He can pass. I think that's the perfect guy to add. And then outside of that, other guards who can go get a bucket, that might be harder to find. But I'm not too high on them as it stands right now. I still think they're they're a good team. I just don't believe that, that they're tier one, which sucks for me to say about my own team. But we ball. You know what I'm saying? So that is what it is. Uh, I do have an uneasy transition. Dylan Brooks, four-year, $80 million. How we feeling, people? Houston had money to burn, and Dylan is happy they did. Yeah. So, you went Texas. You're getting $80 million. I'll I play. I don't care if we win it or not. I'll oh. take it. I, yeah. I'll shoot. The Rockets can win eight games next season. I'm, I'm thrilled. I will still be happy. <laughs> as long as I can go out in the sun after that grueling loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think that's a good day. Yeah, I'll talk but, to James about the clubs. I'm sure he got yeah, some yeah, recommendations, yeah. and yeah. we're chilling. Mm-hmm. Dylan got his name out there after last year, so he's probably going to be going to the clubs trying to you know, do his thing. But honestly, yeah, I mean, it, it's good for him. I really don't know what it does necessarily because I, I just don't see the timeline quite yet with the Rockets. You know, they're making a lot of moves, but it can be looked at as, hey, we're trying to build something. But on the other hand, it can be looked at as, hey, we have a lot of money and we need to spend it, so let's just spend it. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what is going to be what at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Rockets wanted some vets and there is pressure from ownership on the GM to succeed this season. Like, they're, they're kind of over stinking it up as much as they did which I kind of understand, but I also think they are at least a year away. And my biggest fear, if I'm a Rockets fan, is okay, cool, you got into the play in this season, which seems like a realistic, you know, thing you you could get. Uh, Maybe even the eighth seed. It would be a hell of a stretch, but there's a world you can pull that off if stuff happens and stuff always happens in the NBA, so who knows? But even if you do, what is it really doing for your team and for your players? Because it's going to be at the detriment of development for key guys. Amen Thompson, I'm under the impression he's supposed to be a lead guard or some form of lead decision maker for this team, ideally for the next decade. And chances are he's going to be behind Fred Van Vliet. And he already had to share the ball with Jalen Green. Oh, and KPJ's here. Oh, and Dylan Brooks likes to take at least 10 shots a game. Oh, and Cam Whitmore, who was a top five prospect despite the injuries, is on this team too. And he's not even slated to be in the top 10 guys as far as depth chart goes. So I'm totally, totally confused as to 
how this is going to work. I, I trust Freddie. I trust Jeff Green. I like those signings. I, honestly, I think Dylan overall is mostly harmless as far as off the court stuff. It's on the court. I think his decision making is garbage. And I don't care if he's a good wing defender. If I don't want him in like two years, why is he here now taking up 20 mil a season? That's yeah. Where I'm at. yeah, I, I will say the, the biggest thing that I'm worried about, um, like you said, is just the people that they are getting stunned in the growth of the immense young talent that they have and can expound a lot more. You know, a lot of the teams that, you know, I'll say like the Knicks, you know, they could get some guys, even if they do pick good, they might not develop them to the best of their ability. So now their growth is, uh, excuse me, their uh, growth is immediately stunted. And now if they go off, you know, like a Kevin Knox, they go off to the Pistons and it's like, what are we expecting from you? What can you do for us? What what skills have you improved upon? And did the team that you were drafted by help you get um, to your ceiling? And hopefully the Rockets don't turn into a team like the Knicks, where you, you just have a lot of people. And then at the end of the rookie contract, they just go somewhere else or not even going past the rookie contract. So, um, it's, it's in a weird spot, but I'm sure everybody is aware of that in the front office and, you know, the fans are, the players are, I'm sure. So it's really just doing the best we can with what we have. And then once those, you know, rookies or sophomores or just people that are on the rise, once they get into a more solidified role and, you know, getting into their bodies in the NBA, we'll figure out what to do with them after. We might trade a couple people. We might keep people. We might try to make one of them the center of the team. Um, but yeah, at this point, it's really just like open tryouts for the next couple of years. Yeah, I agree a lot with you guys. I thought Houston was going to be extremely fun and maybe they still will be fun, but I'm sorry. Um, signing Van Fleet, like, I can't freak out about the money too much for Houston because there was a cap floor that they had to hit before the season started. So I get the overpaying on the guys. My issue is Amon Thompson is not just some random fourth overall draft pick that can come off the mission these time. If Amon was in any other draft, I think he's like a top two caliber player. Like, like that's the type of talent that this draft had at the top three like you had Victor Wimbiana and Scoot Henderson as your top two right Brandon Miller I don't really believe in we'll see what he does but those those two guys were that talented that they went ahead of Amon Thompson so now it's like okay Amon Thompson is coming into the league with a broken jump shot he can shoot a little bit he can do x or y but he has to work hard on developing his jump shot. And more importantly, the biggest value Amin brings you is his decision-making and his playmaking at the length that he is at the point guard position. So to answer that, you sign Van Fleet to start over him and stunt his day one development as he's coming off of the bench playing next to Fred Van Fleet. In my mind, I think veteran players are extremely important, yes, but I would rather they got people who were like older into the league who could come off the bench and like guide them and coach them and be there for the locker room. I'm not saying Van Fleet 
can't do that. But ultimately, let's be real, people, right? If Van Fleet is making $40 million, he's starting, right? That's not a conversation. So because of that, you have multiple players eating up at the minutes. They still have KPJ on his roster as well. So, so now Ahmed has to fight for positioning for these two players. And he he's your number one guy that you drafted this year. And then on top of that, Cam Whitmore was another guy that they outwardly said, because I listened to their hour-long press conference, they said that they were thinking about drafting Cam Whitmore at number four. They really thought about it, and instead, they chose Amon. So by that logic, right, if you're saying that Cam Whitmore, he was a guy that we thought of drafting for, instead, we got him 20, and now they're saying he might not play for the season as much. He might be in the G League more. So if that's the case, you now have these highly talented players who ultimately are supposed to be your future playing different roles and coming off of the bench for the pursuit of veteran players that ultimately are not going to lock you into a playoffs seed anyway. I thought the point of a rebuild was to take your younger assets, coach them up, really develop them, change the culture of your franchise and get to the playoffs that way after adding other tweaks and pieces here or there around that core i don't think they have a clear core in terms of who the guys are moving forward i thought before uh, all this they did things might work out but i have some question marks with them i really do yeah i mean i think so my biggest thing and to that point you did about van bleep most likely starting especially given his contract even if he was coming off the bench my biggest concern is i need who i think again i'm not houston so maybe you know ownership and gm and the coaches have a much different view of this than i do i think my actual core guys i want for the next decade those realistically four are jalen green amen thompson jabari smith jr and Cam Whitmore. Right. Those those four have all-star ceilings or better. We already know what Jalen Green is. If the West wasn't so loaded, I honestly, he'd be my, I guess he's my dark horse, but like he would be my pick as an all-star guard this season. I really think statistically he could pop off this season. Now it remains to be seen given all the, sh like, the shots that are now going to be consumed before that. But... Even if I don't love his game that much, I think he's still really, really good. Cam just straight up isn't going to get a chance to play this season, which might not be the end of the world. He is only 18. He's got plenty of time. And it, like, it makes all the sense in the world for Houston to take best available the back end of the draft. The fact that Cam fell, absolutely just grab him, figure it out later. That's that's fine. But we already discussed the problems that Amon's going to have. I mean, he's 6'7", but like, do I really want him playing stuck in the corner? as a small forward or shooting guard for majority possessions. No, he needs his touches. And more importantly, he needs his touches with Jalen Green and Jabari on the floor because I'm envisioning three years from now, ideally I still have them on this team and they're my core. Like Jabari's my four, Green's my two, Amon's my hybrid one. So that's kind of like, that's where I'm at. If I don't have those minutes, if I don't have those rotations with those guys playing together, I'm very concerned. And I don't care if I get the eight seed or the seven seed to go get stomped out by a Denver or Phoenix in four games. 
that's really not the experience that's moving me as an individual, whether I'm player or coach or organization. Like, that's why the GM's kind of in a no-win situation. He had cap, he had to spend, but also had to spend it on players that almost guarantee a playoff burden. Because that he, I think he really is playing for his job, as unfair as that circumstance to me is. So, I don't know. I do think Houston could be fun to watch. They're, you know, your league pass team. They should be the fastest team in the league. Like, absolutely no excuse. I think Udoka is a smart, defensive-minded coach. So, I think it's going to look better than it did under Silas. But, yeah, I've got my doubts. And I really think it could hamper development. Like, these guys need to develop to be leaders and also decision makers in every facet. And I feel like a Van Vliet, as good of a leader as he is, and as, as much as I like his decision making overall as far as passing, I think it could inhibit Greens or KPJs, who is a total question mark, as you just mentioned, and Amens. So I don't know. I, I'll pass it off to you, Kai. I, I mean, do you agree that this seems more as a hindrance rather than like? worth the gamble the you know the potential playoff birth um now that i'm looking at it and just thinking about what exactly van vliet van vliet can do not this year not even next year but what is he going to be used for in the future i think that's really their main play so take for example somebody like a, a bongdanovich for the pistons you know he's a, a vet that can score you know shoot the lights out can keep him in games but he's not like a game winner and he's not a type of person that really should be in a rebuild necessarily but can be used later on um saying for example the development of the players that they have already goes up when that team is ready to take that next level he can get traded for some pieces or maybe get traded for some draft picks to kind of get them fueling just in case some things go bad or maybe if they're trying to get a big player they can take the young talent that came up along with him and get one of those star players so i think really they just overpaid him to keep him in that system to make him look a little more um competitive and then going forward hopefully he doesn't take a lot of what well, more than likely he is going to take a lot of minutes from some of the young players um, and i think that's the main part that's really irking me with this um, I think he was in, intended on being that guy to bunch with a young player that may be good, but not necessarily for this their system and getting a star player along with that young player. But he's just in that position to where he's taken uh, minutes from some guys that can really need it at this time, especially when it's a fresh rebuild. I think that's just the main point they have a lot of guards that need shine and if you have somebody like van vliet it's just taken away from that yeah i gotta say the one thing that i'll give them they pay van fleet three years 130 that's a lot of money right the cap does go up every year so i'll give them that but the bigger thing is the third year is a team option which means the value of that contract as an expiring it's gonna lure a lot of teams because that means you can literally like cut him if you wanted to in that third season. The sad part about the Houston Rockets, which I didn't really say uh, before, is that Brooke Lopez committed to being a Houston Rocket and they moved assets to try to sign him 
and then he said actually i changed my mind i'm not gonna sign and they basically traded those assets for nothing now like it, it's been a very weird offseason for houston but i do think that they'll still be fun to watch i still pray the best for their younger players in terms of their development and I hope that like people understand that they are a young team and they're supposed to go through their trials and their tribulations but there's so many players on this team that I think need the ball to get maximized Amin can play off ball he can but I still would like him to have the ball there in his hands Jalen Green can also play off ball but again I do think he needs more reps as a ball creator. Shingun needs the ball because he's basically their version of what a Jokic or Sabonis might be. Um, I think for them, they just have a lot of guys who fit that mold. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I do think this team can be competitive. I don't know if I have them outright making the play, and that's a whole other conversation, but it's going to be competitive at least. And that's what I like about this uh, overall free agency a lot of teams are doing what they can to get better and we got chris paul and i'm gonna just end the podcast with that we got chris paul appreciate everyone that made it to the very end uh kyle feel free to link yourself all of that i know that you go by the name k caution and you be going crazy on your beats and all that let the people know where they can find you Thank you. So you can find me on Spotify. It's just K Caution, but the caution is with of K, not a C. Um, you can look me up on YouTube, the same name. I'm on Instagram, K underscore caution. And might not be on Twitter too much longer, just seeing how that platform is doing. But might be you can add me on there. Yeah, it might be cooked, but you know, on the last days, uh, you can add me on there at caution underscore K. Got it. And I'm sorry, that might be like the title of the pod, The Dog Days of Twitter. Honestly. <laughs> the Dog Days of Twitter, yeah. <laughs> honestly, e- Elon spent $44 billion just to blow it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know, I've been on this show a few times already. <laughs> you, you can find me at Not Just Dribble Podcast, at Derek Arstein on Twitter. Uh, yeah, this has been a good conversation. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. I look forward to more free agency nonsense as it comes. Uh, it should be a fun time. Yeah, I can't wait personally um, for the viewers watching and listening to this podcast. There are going to be more episodes of this as we transition to the offseason, but we will also be watching basketball in the Discord. Uh, all of the links to Discord are in the bio on Twitter and also in the YouTube comments. So make sure to tap in for those things. We have a lot of older